awesome day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your peace. Thank you that our names are written in your book of life. Thank you that you have written your name, our names on the palm of your hand. You love us. You care for us. You provide for us. You have created us anew in you, Christ Jesus. We are special and we are loved. We are empowered by your grace. And we walk in faith, expressing itself in love. And we thank you, Lord, for building us up in this most holy faith. Helping us to pray in the Holy Ghost and to receive all that you have for us to be your light. Thank you, Lord, for using me today to impart your word, your wisdom, your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All of the time I get calls and talk to people who are struggling with different fears of this and that. Fear of man, really. <clears throat> Identity crisis of sorts. Just... Uh, A bit of despair, I guess. The truth be known. Even amongst ministers that I minister to. Just searching and seeking to do and to be all that God called them to be. In this age of political correctness. It's easy to get caught up in this nonsense. It's a cheap counterfeit provided by the devil for the truth, the reality that God wants us to know. This set of approved language and words that people are insisting that others use. Guaranteed not to offend. A form of penance for some. And required shame of others. Entitlement for others. And it's all crazy. None of it's God. I was listening to somebody talk about a music festival that they're having in Sweden. The last time they had it, all of these immigrants that have been flooding into their nation because they just opened their borders and didn't require anything, don't know who they got, and so they're raping all their women over there. The last music festival, there were a lot of these rapes. And so now, they're going to have the music festival, no men allowed. No men allowed until they learn to behave themselves. So, it's gone from 
their fear of misogyny, this hatred of women, to what's known as misandry, which is a hatred for men. When they should just arm their people or insist that their law enforcement do their job and provide protection and safety for people at public venues, like we would here in Texas. But it, it doesn't stop there because then somebody pointed out that that would be wrong because the transgender men would be affected by this. So they said, okay, we rewrite. No men except not only biological men that were born that way can't come. Transgender men can come. Wasn't good enough either because then the transgender man got offended or someone representing them saying, well, you're insinuating that we're not as much of a man as the natural man. In other words, we couldn't do the same damage, which they couldn't. I don't think they have the tools for that, but that's how crazy it's become. You see, that's a real thing. Every bit of it. That's how demonic and absurd it all becomes. And people in the midst of it just don't see that there's a problem. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There it is. There it is. As Christians, in Galatians 5, it lays out what happens when people walk after the Spirit of God after they come to know Jesus. And it's good. says here, Galatians 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. And this is a form of legalism we're talking about when they're insisting that you do this and say this. You understand what I'm saying? It's really legalism. In the name of love and protection. But it's legalism because it's requiring some things. When you come into the freedom of Christ, you have free choice. That's how, that's how love really works. It's given freely. Verse 4, it says, You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Down in verse 21. 22. But the, free, but the fruit of the Spirit, big S, 
capital S, the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things, there's no law against them. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So this is, this is the natural occurrence of those who are in Christ. If they're living a life following Christ's teachings and His ways and allowing Him to live through them, the fruit of the Spirit is manifest. And if you're living and walking in love, then it'll, it'll, it'll be lasting fruit. All the peace, love, and joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, gentleness and self-control will be evident in your life. And no one will have to require anything of, of you to make sure that others are treated fairly. It's the natural response of the Christian. But this political correctness, it demands people undergird others' self-esteem. Unless they're white men, of course. They're ruled out now. We're, we're supposed to be punished and feel guilty about being born white, I guess. I don't know. It's so bizarre. I th- I'm Irish, so I think my, you know, my ancestors may have been slaves when they came over. A lot of, a lot of uh, Irish were indentured servants. <laughs> but, you know, just like I'm for, I, I'm, I'm all for the fact that these, um, these dreamer kids, they're not responsible for the crimes of their parents. Most people feel that way. I don't feel like these kids should be punished for the crimes of their parents. But somehow, all of a sudden, there's a movement now that all white people should be responsible for something they, their ancestors may or may not probably didn't have anything to do with. And if you look on the history of Louisiana, the most brutal, vicious slave owners of the time were black. Freed black men. I'm not against anyone. I'm just telling you how bizarre and how strange it all is. Matter of fact, the population about six or eight years before the Civil War in New Orleans, about 70% of the freed black people there owned slaves. They were the largest slave group of slave owners in that area at the time. A lot of them weren't very good to their, the people they owned. It was all absurd. It was all bad. It was never godly. And most Americans were against it. I'll be honest with you. And to revisit that bitterness and resentment and anger and to teach children to feel that way is a sin. And anyone that calls themselves a social leader is a liar if they say they love their people when they're teaching him those things. Because Jesus has forgiven us all everything if we accept him as our Lord and Savior and we're required to do the same. If you hold bitterness and unforgiveness, it's an open door for the devil into your life, no matter who you are or how justified you think you are. It's a trap. And so, if we truly love people, we'll teach them to be free of all those things. And just love and trust God with all the details of the judgment. Amen? 
But demanding people adjust their words and call things that they don't believe to be right, to, to force that they call them good, this won't produce self-esteem or self-respect in others. Self-acceptance stems from our knowledge of Jesus Christ and who we are in Jesus Christ. I heard today that California, uh, a certain school district, they have approved uh, transgender books uh, for kindergarten. And that's uh, something that they're going to do. And the parents will not be allowed to remove the kids when those books are read. You understand how strange that is? They're going to read the book about the transgender children to these four and five year olds. And then they're going to have a little boy who introduced himself as little Johnny or whatever. And while they're reading the book, he goes into the restroom. And when they're done, he comes back out dressed as a woman. And this is... They don't. And if even if someone were for these things, which it's, again... <laughs> It's all demonic. It should be taught at home about the, the issues of our culture and the things, the struggles that we're facing as a culture. But that's bad. I'm telling you right now, that's bad. That's very bad. Here's, here's the thing. Well, look right there where we were in Galatians in chapter 3. Look at the 28th verse. Uh, I think, yeah, I'll go back to the 27th verse. For as many of you have bap or baptized into Christ and put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither is, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise what they're looking for is found only in Christ. One day we'll all be together and we'll all be one. And we're already all equal as inheritors of what Christ has given us in eternity. But here in this life, God made male and female. And he had a purpose for every life and for every person and every way that he created you. And choose just to decide that he made a mistake is wrong. And even if someone is born with something physically wrong with them, God still did not do that. This is a fallen world and the sin of our fathers before us and of, and of, and of everyone ever since the Garden of Eden have followed some of us. And bad things have happened to good people. That's why Jesus said when they said, who sinned? His disciples said, who sinned? This man's parents or him? To make him blind. And he was blind from birth. Okay. So that's how even. That's how much knuckleheads. Even the disciples were. Before they really got it. How did the boy sin before he was even born? In his mother's womb? <laughs> but Jesus said neither. Remember that? And then some people. Use his response to say. See God was just using that. Did that. So that he could show his glory. No. What Jesus meant was it just happened because it's a, Satan is in charge of this world. And ever since you people have 
given up your authority and gave it to Satan. He's done things like this. Now let's move on. And he healed him. And that's it. The problem here and what I'm getting at today, because whether there's a few of us or a thousand of us, I am going to spend my life trying to create true disciples of Jesus Christ that really know him, that know God's truth and walk in power and victory and have the light of God shining through them for others to to glean from because the world needs it. As of today, they say that about 70 percent of Catholics and then that dwindles down to about 35 percent of evangelicals. And everywhere in between are accepting of these things that I've been talking about. And overall, they say it's about 54%, the majority of Christians overall are just accepting of any sort of uh, different lifestyle that people choose and claim. And they say that it should be protected with only a couple of Well, they are cults, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons being less accepting of these things. But neither one of those two groups, even though they're more in line with what God's thoughts are on some of these things, you can't be saved through them. And people need to know that. Is it because I'm being mean to those Mormons? No. Am I glad to see all the good work they're doing? And man, every time I see Jehovah's Witnesses walking around the neighborhood on Saturdays, I think, man, what great Christians they would be. They're so dedicated. They're out trying to earn their way to heaven, though. And we know we can't do that, don't we, Josh? We depend on what Jesus has done for us. If we ever get there and claim our own merits for being there, we'll be rejected. We put everything Jesus has accomplished on our resume. And we rely upon that. That's the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's not politically correct anymore. But it never, ever is going to change from being the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Yesterday was supposed to be the end of the world again. And it's good to see all of you here. Possibly rapture. Yeah. Right. Well, that would be all right, but we're here and, you know, I was never concerned about it. We've been through a lot of those final days in my lifetime, all sorts of weird groups. And anyone that claims to know the date and time, we know they're liar because Matthew 24, 36, Jesus said, but of that day and hour, speaking of the end, knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. And so we know because he said it, that settles it. So anyone that ever tells me that they know exactly when it's coming, I just thank them very much because it helps me a lot. It helps me to know that they're not of God and I just move on. Otherwise, I might have spent some time trying to figure it out. But when some people tell me things that I know are not of God and they're counter to what God has said, then it just helps me to move on and away from them. Amen. First Timothy four back to the T's in the back. First and second Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Let's see. Timothy, first Timothy chapter four, verse one. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, 
by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just barely back from where we were a little ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. just want to go through a few of these scriptures with you today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. Paul was explaining to the church in Corinth. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is why it's important for us not to call those things which are evil good. Or just to be telling people that it's okay. Because if you really love someone, you don't want them to go to hell. Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Go back to 2 Timothy quickly. Chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter three. And I'm just going to start reading. This is Paul's last letter to his friend Timothy, young Timothy, who was a young minister, and Paul had encouraged him and taught him and helped him to not let people take advantage of him or be critical of him because of his youth and to be strong and to preach the word and never to back down from it because of its it's importance that the truth be known because there are so many, especially in these end times, who are going to try and deceive people. Their consciences are already seared. They're liars and swindlers and they're going to preach and teach things that are popular just because they're popular. And when any heat is turned up on them because of the truth of God's word, they'll just change it or won't preach that part anymore. And it'll cause people to go to hell. Because it says in chapter 3 of Second Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. 
You, however, have been have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He was warning Timothy about all the hard things that were coming, and the the deception that was going to be mixed in with it. The devil never comes to us dressed like a devil (laughs) with horns and a red tail and a cape. He comes to us disguised as an angel of light, as someone good, as something good, trying to convince and persuade. And usually he'll include a lot of the truth and then just take you off course with just a little bit. Yes, 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 but... And then he'll slide the lie in there. He'll slide the fact that it's okay, that God didn't really say that, and it's okay to do things this way or that way. Yeah, I know he says that, but they didn't mean it literally. They'll change the word, and then as you'll continue to watch these people, they'll begin to dismiss more and more of God's word, because Every time it opposes the lifestyle that they choose, they'll disregard it. And they'll make up a reason why it wasn't meant to be literal. Or it's taken out of context. And they'll try to make this thing say whatever they want it to say. That's approving of the way they want to do things. And the way that they want to incorporate this Jesus of their imagination into the life that they've created for themselves. Instead of surrendering their lives and being obedient to Christ and His Word. I remember as a little boy becoming aware of God and some of the most painful and bitterly lonely times of my childhood being alone and I remember on two separate occasions specifically in in this one period of time. Once I was just sitting on a brick wall contemplating these things. And I felt God's presence. I knew at that time that I wasn't alone. I didn't know anything about Him. Hadn't been taught anything. I was only about 11 years old, maybe 10. But... At this one moment in time, I became 
very aware that I was being watched. And it wasn't by people. I knew that there was a God. And I knew somehow that I was special. Not special in the sense that I'm more special than any of you. But special in the sense that somehow we are special to Him. He allowed me to know these things. And it comforted me in that time. And I remember it so well. And there was another occasion similar to that. And then when I was 19, there was another time. But I wasn't ready for God. But I remember back now, in, in hindsight, remembering those times He lifted me up and encouraged me and strengthened me in a profound way that made a mark. And now I'm really thankful because now I can remember lots of other things too in times after I was grown, before I'd come to know Him. That he saved my life, literally. And I'm really thankful for that. But I became aware of God at an early age. But I needed a preacher. I needed the word of God. The Bible says, how can they know unless the preacher preaches? God has chosen to deliver his message regarding the kingdom through people. People like yourself. People that love Him and know Him and have come to understand His will and His ways and His word and are willing to share it with those in need. And as we get further along in these end times, there are going to be fewer and fewer, maybe not literally, but that maybe you'll be aware of. There'll be times when you may feel alone. And like you're the only Christian left on the earth. But God will never be left without a witness. And I assure you, there are millions of brothers and sisters being persecuted and suffering for His name's sake all over the world. And one day we'll all be together. And we'll have lots of stories to tell. Amen? My biggest point today is just to make us painfully aware that there are some difficult things happening in our world today and in our culture, and they can seem very complicated and and uh, difficult to to uh, to get through and to understand and know how to deal with them. But I want you to know that God doesn't change; He He has never changed. The only thing that's ever changed about God is the way that He deals with man. In other words, the dispensation of time has changed a couple of times. We know that first there was was, uh, Adam and Eve. And then we know that Abraham wasn't even under the law. He was blessed. And and, uh, he just trusted in God and what God had said. But when... Moses went to Mount Sinai and they said, we'll do whatever God says. And they spoke rashly like that. We got the Ten Commandments and we went through a dispensation of period of time that which God dealt with people called the, the law. And that was only with the, really Israel, not, not the rest of the world. And then when Jesus came we, and, and died and was resurrected and went to heaven... We entered into another age, the church age. This dispensation of time known for grace and truth. 
the church age and that which will be until he returns for us or we go to be with him. A lot of things changed when the new covenant took over this church age. That's why people, you see people out there referring to this mean God that killed people and this and that. They don't understand what they're talking about. It was a different dispensation of time in which we had entered into agreement or those people had entered into an agreement with God of how they would be judged and ruled. And it was only temporary to show them their need for a savior. And even then his heart was for mercy. But back then there was no deliverance from demonic oppression and there was no opportunity for salvation through the blood of Christ. And if someone had a demon... It had to be dealt with. And the only way to get rid of that from the culture, from the town, from the place they lived and from affecting everyone else, kill it. Now, does it seem so mean? It was like a cancer. It had to be cut out. Now, it can be cast out. Right here in this room with a word in the name of Jesus Christ. Because he's given us that authority. And we can be healed. It's the laying on of hands. And all these wonderful things came to us in this church age. And we need to just let people know about this awesome Jesus that loves them. And we need to be aware that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That are always watching and are here to help. God has assigned angels just to you. And he has millions of others that do his bidding. They respond to his word. He has already spoke his blessing over you if you are a Christian. And now as you respond in faith, those angels are empowered to do his will. The devil has some angels too that fell from heaven with him. And they are active. They're demons now. And they... Are wanting you to do some creating for them. You empower them with your words also. God said I set before you today. Life and death. Choose. Which one you will follow. Am I correct in assuming that we all want to choose life? Well this is how you do it. You learn about this word. You learn about your God. You come to know the one who saved you. His will. His ways. And trust him. And know that you are never alone. I want to look at one more thing. A a man from the Old Testament. Who walked in a special dispensation. Because now we all have the Holy Spirit. And can be baptized with the Holy Ghost. uh, To empower us even more. But back then. Certain people just. Had a special anointing. Given by God of the Holy Ghost. And Elisha was one of them. And if you look in 2 Kings. Chapter 6. Way back in the back. Samuel then Kings. Numbers. Joshua Judges. Samuel Kings. And then 1st and 2nd Kings. And in 2nd Kings, look at chapter 6. And Elisha is a great example of you. 
because Elijah was his mentor, who's a picture of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant prophets. Elisha was really type and shadow of the New Covenant. He received a double portion of what Elijah had when Elijah was taken away by a chariot of fire to go be with the Lord. He's one of the two people in the Bible that never died a natural death. And that's why I believe he will be one of the prophets that's talked about in Revelation that is here from God and comes and ministers for a time during all of the tribulation and then they kill him and they li- he lies dead in the street for a time and then he's come and taken. But I, I believe that the two men in the Bible that never died a natural death will have to come back and die that natural death because it's appointed for once for man to die. And if they haven't done it, I still think they have to do it. But I want to talk about this because we're going to leave it this today because I don't want us to ever feel lonely in this. Because it's very easy to do. And I'm telling you, I, I have a, a larger group of ministers that I minister to than, than sheep that I minister to. And so even they have these same issues. And they can feel very alone and lost and feel like they can't hear God and just get to a place of hopelessness when it should never be the case with Christians. Because God is for us. And because of that, there is nothing that man can do to you. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at the 8th verse. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel. Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Basically, Elisha was the prophet, and he heard by the Spirit of God, he saw what the enemy of the king of Israel was doing. The king of Syria was planning things with his army against Israel, and by the Spirit, Elisha knew it, and he would warn the king. Okay? So it's like he was reading his mail. Verse 11 And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who is who of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, there's a spy in my camp. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. (laughs) In other words, Elisha wasn't in the king's bedroom to hear, and he didn't have a spy there. God was telling him. And he said, Go and see where he is. So he's sending them after this Elisha. Go see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. So it looked bad for this prophet because the king 
of his enemy, his enemy king of Syria was on to him, and he sent a whole army after one man, okay? And they had him surrounded. They knew where he was. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? It looked bad. He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He, he tells this servant of his who goes outside in the morning, he goes, Oh my goodness, there's a whole army surrounding us and they're here to kill us. And he tells this tells the prophet, what are we going to do? There's a whole army here to kill us. He says, don't worry, there's more for us than against us. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? He didn't open the servant's natural eyes so he could see. He, was, he could see fine, naturally, just like we do. He saw what was there in the natural. And there wasn't anybody there for them. They were all against them. But when he prayed, he prayed that the boy's spiritual eyes would be open and he could see because the veil would be removed and he could see what was really going on in that realm, which is more real than this one, the spiritual realm where we really belong. And when he did, there was the army of God surrounding the army that opposed Elisha. So he wasn't worried. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken capture with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master, and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. A lot of lessons there about the heart of our Lord. First of all, <laughs> the reality is, no weapon formed against you will prosper when you are living for the Lord Jesus Christ and doing things His way. If you... If you are operating in faith and trusting God and doing what He tells you to do, you're untouchable. Then Elisha, he said, put blindness on this army here that had us surrounded. 
And so he did it. And then he went and he tells them, oh, you're, you're in the wrong place. You're surrounded the wrong town and I'm not the guy you're looking for. Follow me and I'll take you to him. And he followed them all the way to the, to the Israeli king and his army. And he draw them into the city where they were surrounded all of a sudden by the, the army of Israel. But then look what the Israeli king asked him. I'm going to kill him. Should I kill him? And look at the heart of God. No. No, man. If you captured him, would you kill him? <laughs> That's what you've done. You've captured him. Treat him good. Treat your enemy good. He not only gave him bread and water like Elisha said. He was smart. He made him a big feast and fed him really good and then let him go. And you know what? They never bothered him again. Remember that. When you want to do unto others as they have done unto you, don't do it. Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. And watch God fight your battles. Amen? The point I want you to go away with today, because I had a whole lot more to talk about, but that'll give me something to talk to you about when I get back in October. Just remember that God is for you. That the reality of the spiritual realm and the spiritual truths in this book are yours. And that the more you believe that and the more you learn about your Lord and King, the more empowered you will become. The more you put trust and confidence in His promises and the things that He's said regarding you, whether it be your health, your wealth, your relationships, your strength, even your attitudes and relationships, the more the good things that He said will come to pass. Proclaim them over yourself. Pray them over others. Believe and it will come to pass. Don't get caught up in the past. Never let your memories be greater than your dreams. Even when you get old and you retire from maybe a job, don't retire from life. Don't retire from your service to your king. Because as long as you keep allowing him to birth dreams in your heart, he has purpose for your life. He can accomplish through you more in one day than you ever would have pursuing your own dreams and your own ways in your own time. Trust Him to do that, and I guarantee you He will. And remember, you are never, ever, ever alone. His promise is that He will never leave you or forsake you. Father, thank You so much for this day and for Your precious Word. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your truth. Help us to be strong in faith and in love and to help others to understand what true love is. Knowing you and being in relationship with you and taking up our identity in you alone. Receiving our confidence and our well-being and our self-esteem from you alone and from your word and the blessings that you have spoken over us. The truth that you have spoken over us. Help us to walk in that authority and victory 
And let our lives be the stronger message than our words so that others are provoked to jealousy and want the things that we have in you. The relationship that we have in you and that we might share that boldly with them and help them to come to know you, Lord Jesus. The only thing that's going to save them. Knowing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by and through you. In Jesus' name, amen.